invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We'll pick up where we left off last week. We're going to be uh, starting in verse 12. We'll go through uh, verse 21. So Romans chapter 5, um, verse 12, and we'll go through verse 21. Um, <clears throat> you may or may not be aware of this, but all over America, there are people standing in churches, calling themselves preachers, that are telling people that they are basically good. They're telling people that people are basically good. Now, I don't know what kind of hole you have to be hiding in to, to, to think that, but people think, okay, so people are going to basically do the right thing. They're, they're, they're basically built out of good stuff, and they're going to uh, look out for the good of other people. Well, that's not logical. That's not what we see as we watch the world happen. That's not what we see as we encounter people on a one-on-one -on -one basis. That's certainly not what we see when we watch the news and what people's plans are for other people and all the terrible things that happen. Um, it is also an unbiblical idea because that's not what the Bible tells us about ourselves. We are not basically good. We need, as Christians, it's going to be important, it's essential to the Christian faith that we understand the state of a person who is outside of Christ. That's going to be critical because here's the reality. When we are uh, living outside of Christ, we are not good. We are in need of salvation. We are only made good through our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today's passage, we're actually going to be studying two legacies, the legacies of two different people. Um, and it's going to be important for us to understand that there really are no more available options. We will either enter into the legacy of Adam or we will enter into the legacy of Christ. Um, so heretofore, when I say Adam, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about Adam as in Adam and Eve. And so that maybe will hopefully not confuse people. Um, but all people will either follow the path of Adam or they will follow the path of Christ. That is, that is central to this text. And I joked and said that we could say this, this, uh, this sermon pretty much in, in four words, just one sentence. Sin kills, Jesus saves. That is the message of this passage. Um, obviously, we're going to say a little bit more than that, but that's the message of this passage. So here's the sermon in a sentence. The sin of one man ushered in the reign of death, but the one righteous act of Jesus on the cross made a way for righteousness and life for anyone who believes. So I'm fixing to read this passage to you, and I'd like for you just to note the number of times it says one man, one act, one sin. I want you to notice the one, the singular nature of everything that's going on. That's really important in understanding this passage. So it says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Moses to Adam, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through the one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God uh, and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. 
but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. <coughs> Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came uh, in to increase the trespass, but, there, but where sin increased, grace abound all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so the first couple of verses here, we're going to be looking at the legacy of Adam. What did he leave behind? What did he leave for us or you know, basically poison us with? And that's where we're going to get to. So there are two main points to Adam's legacy. There is sin and there is death. As we look at it, it's not good news. It's not good news from Adam. So we know the story of the fall. We know what happened there. We know about <coughs> the forbidden fruit and all of that. And we even know about God's immediate actions. We know that God, uh, he spoke to Eve, he spoke to Adam, he spoke to the serpent. He issued certain curses to each of them, and those curses led to suffering. We know that he cast them out of the Garden of Eden. There was, there was that sort of difficulty that they faced right away because of their sins. But what we're going to see today is the more far-reaching effects. And we know that every action has consequences. Everything that we do, there is, there is down-the-road implications for what we do. Well, for Adam, his one sin had consequences that were far beyond anything I believe he could have imagined at that particular time. So when Paul first mentions sin in this passage, so verse uh, 12, he says, Therefore, just as sin came into this world, uh, when he first mentions this in, the, in this passage, it's personified. It is like a destructive and depraved uh, principle reigning over unbelievers and even persisting into believers. So it is a, it is a force. Sin is a force, and it is um, something that is, that is active, and it is doing something. In fact, sin is always looking for a chance to break through. That's the way that, that it's described here. Um, he says, therefore, just as sin came into the world, sin chose or sin pushed its way into the world. Now we have to understand that this personification of sin is all wrapped up in Satan and his basically evil plan to lead Adam and Eve astray, but we have to see that sin as, as an enemy to us. It is an active and it is an ever-evolving enemy against us. And so what we have to recognize with that is that it is going to constantly be trying to break through into our lives in different ways. So the way sin is described, it actually existed before Adam. That's a whole different sermon. Um, and through him, it found a way to invade humanity. That's essentially what's going on there. Sin had existed beforehand, and it found a way into humanity through Adam. He is the gatekeeper. He allowed it in. So we know that sin leads to suffering because God cursed Adam and Eve to suffer because of their sin. So we know that, that it does bring about suffering. And in this passage, we learn that the most direct result of sin is actually death. So notice again, he says, verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. 
So the other point here is that sin always leads to death, even if it stops by suffering first. So it's going to death. Now, it may lead to suffering before it leads to death, but it is always going to lead to death. And so the short first part of the sentence, sin kills. That's what it does. That is its fundamental nature. It is always going to bring about death, and it will most always bring about suffering as well. So everyone who has lived since Adam has been condemned to death because of his sin. So you might say, why is it that I have to die? It is Adam's sin. That is why you have to die. That is why I have to die. That is the appointment that we all must keep because of that one sin. So you want to talk about consequences. Think about the consequences echoing through thousands of years because of Adam's choice, what he did. I think this should help us to understand the serious nature of sin. One sin reverberating through all of human history has affected each and every one of us. How much more so our sins also, if they are multiplied, how much more effect can they have in our lives and the lives of those around us? So the other thing that it says is that everyone else had sinned which means to, to violate divine law. So again, the very end of verse 12, it says, um, so death spread to all men because all sinned. So we were made sinners by Adam. We were made into like sin nature by Adam. So it, it fundamentally changed our standing with God forever, but it also changed our nature, our reaction to this world. Before Adam and Eve sinned, the natural reaction of mankind was one of righteousness. But after Adam and Eve sinned, the natural reaction to the, this world is now sinfulness. We naturally are sinful. We are naturally evil and sinful, not naturally good. You have to teach a child to tell the truth. You do not have to teach a child to lie. And there are so many other examples that show that we are, we are born evil and then redeemed by God. And so what we see is that Adam's sin, not only did it lead to death, but it also infected the entire human race with sin so that we then have a sin nature. It is our nature then to respond in sin rather than in righteousness. You know, just reading verse 13 can be a little confusing. It says, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Well, we know the law was given by Moses, but we also know that God judged sin. Even in Genesis 6, we just covered Noah's Ark just a few weeks ago. We know that God judged that sin as well. And so what we have to understand is that there may not have been a legal proceeding, but God still called evil evil. He still called sin sin even without the law. So that's what we need to recognize. So people were sinners between Adam and Moses, even though there was no actual law going on at that particular time. So the next thing that we have to really talk about is um, uh, what sin is in terms of what is its scope, okay? So we understand what the law says, what you don't do, what you do. We understand that, that there, is, there is more to sin than just the explicit commands of God. But sin here, the way that it's being described, is an act or a feeling um, that transgresses something that God has either forbidden or that he has commanded us to do, ignoring something that he's commanded us to do. Um, and this is based not only on God's law, but also on God's character. Um, it, it could be a thought, it could be a feeling, it could be something we say, or it could be an action. And so all of those things fall under the category of sin. And so I think the, the important part of that definition is against God's law or against his character. Between those two things, that's going to cover what sin is for us and in our lives. Does it go against God's law? Well, if it doesn't go against God's law, you have to ask, does it go against God's character? And so 
it, some things can be evil and God didn't specifically line them out as you don't do this. But does it go against his character? Does it go against his very nature? Who God is, does it sit right with what I'm contemplating doing? If the answer is no, I don't do that because that is sin. And so we need to recognize that. So the point of this passage is to explain the power of the one sin of Adam that he committed. Uh, but we know that God still saw the actions that men did as evil since he sent the flood. So that's the idea that we have to recognize is that the one sin of Adam is what led to death. God still counts other sins. There are other ramifications for those sins. The consequence of the one sin was death. The one sin was the sin nature. And then afterwards, our sin nature is going to continue to have its own consequences. And so that's kind of the point of what we're looking at here. So regardless of any legal proceedings or whatever, death was given power. It says death reigned over mankind in verse 14. Um, and so this, this death was given a power over the lives of everyone from Adam to Moses and beyond. It was like the rule of a king. That's the, the kind of picture, and it is a supreme rule. That is the thing that is the ultimate reality for all people. Everybody's going to be born on different footing. Everybody's going to have a different life and different life experiences, but the end of all of our lives are the same. We die. And so that is kind of that great equalizer. That is that one thing that everyone comes to that same conclusion at the end. And so it is the supreme power. It is the supreme authority. Death is the reason we do so much of what we do. Why do we you know, strive so hard to make a living and protect ourselves and to have all these other things? Well, to avoid death, death is that one thing that is waiting on all of us. So death has supreme rule over anyone who is not in Christ. Okay, so... Last week, when I started the sermon, I said, I challenge you to find bad news, and I don't think we could find any bad news. Well, we've, we've found some here. We've found a, a lot of bad news here, because at this point, we've seen that, that we're all sinners through Adam. We've seen that we're all going to die, again, through Adam. So it's a pretty tough uh, start to this. So the people living between the time of Adam and Moses, um, they didn't have these direct commands from God, but they violated the law written on their hearts, and so they were affected by sin. They were made to be sinners just like everyone else. Now, at the end of verse 14, it starts saying some things that are a little bit interesting. Um, well, it's all interesting. It's the Bible. But there are some things that kind of change or, or foreshadow what's going to be said next. So it says, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. What that means is that they didn't have written laws, but they were still sinning. They were still going against God's nature. They were still going against the conscience that God had put in their hearts. And so they were still sinning. But this next part, who was a type of the one who is to come? So what does that mean? That means that Adam was the firstborn among all men, and he set the tone for the way that we would live our lives. So he set a standard or a pattern that we would all follow. We would live, we would sin, and we would die. That's the pattern of, of Adam, and that ultimately is also his legacy. And so the legacy of Adam is sin and death for all mankind. He set that tone. He set that pattern. But see, he is a type of the one that is to come. So he's a trendsetter. He's a tone, tone setter just like Jesus would be. But to say that Adam is like Jesus is difficult for us because it doesn't make sense. But Jesus is going to set a different standard. He's going to set a different tone, and he's going to leave a different legacy. And so Adam was the first of these trendsetters or, 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 or tone setters, but then Jesus would change the tone entirely. 
And so what we are looking for at the end is another one man who will have a different legacy. That's what we're looking for in the end is another one man that will have a different legacy. And so that brings us to verse 15. And that brings us to the legacy of Christ. So he starts in verse 15 by saying, but the free gift. And so it's time for some good news. And there's no better news than free, right? You've probably been told all your life that there's nothing free. Everything comes at a cost. And for Jesus, he paid the full cost so that for us, for you and for I, what he gives us truly is free to us. So that's the when the passage mentions the free gift. And a free gift is a present that's given as a sign of favor. Like, that's what that means. And so when he says free gift, when he says grace, those kinds of things, that's a gift that God is giving as a sign of showing his favor to us. Um, So the free gift, uh, Paul says, is not like the trespass. So how is it not like the trespass? Well, because with the trespass, there was one sin with many negative results. One sin led to many negative results. You've got everybody's now sinners, everybody's going to die, one sin, many negative results. The free gift is one righteous act with many positive results. So this is the concept, and just in case I never make it clear again, I want to make it clear now. When Jesus died, he didn't just fix the sin of Adam. When Jesus died, he fixed all the sins of all mankind. So with one sin... Adam could condemn the entire human race to sin and death, suffering, death. He could condemn them to all of that. But when Jesus died, he redeemed anyone who would believe in him, full redemption, all sins forgiven, not just the condition that we have of sin and death, but also the permanent situation of our legal status with God. We would become justified. So when when Jesus died, he finished it all. He sealed it all. He saved us completely. So... That's the picture. So where does this free gift come from? How do we get to this free gift? The free gift of God comes through the righteous act of Jesus Christ. So just as there was the one man that committed sin and brought about death, sin and death to mankind, there is the one man through one righteous act. And we may not be familiar with hearing about the crucifixion as one righteous act, because if you read the story, you say, well, Jesus had to do a lot of things right to get to the cross, and he had to do a lot of things right but the, the focus is on the one thing that he did that changed everything. Because Jesus could have done everything right up to the cross, balked at the cross, turned away, and it still would have been bad for us. But that one righteous act of saying, yes, I will suffer for them. Yes, I will pay that price. That was the righteous act, and that was what changed everything. So everyone must face death because of one man's sin. And then they will be judged for their own sins. This is God's way. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna face death, and then we're going to be judged for our sins. The grace of God expressed in the gospel not only gives us hope after death, but it also forgives us of all our sins so that we can stand before God justified. Now let me put something in right here. I started this conversation by saying that there are people standing in churches today saying that you're basically good. That is anti-evangelism. That's what that is. What is the gospel? We know that the word means good news. Uh, we, we associate words like salvation. Um, we talk about rescue. We talk about being saved. Well, when we tell people that you're basically good, they don't understand that they need to be saved. 
they don't understand that they need to be rescued. But as we look at a passage like this, what it says is that because of the sin of Adam, that's a problem that you can't fix. You cannot go back and, and undo what Adam did. So because of the sin of Adam, you are going to be a sinner and then you are going to die. That's horrible news. That's the worst news I've ever heard because that means that before I even get started, when I'm born, I am already under the weight of this condemnation. So what am I supposed to do about that? Well, the biblical answer is nothing. There's nothing you can do to make yourself right before God. And so that's when the gospel comes in. That's what helps people to understand that they need it is because we are hopelessly lost, but we have a Savior that provides hope. That is the contrast, and that's what people need to understand. And so when we look at the reasons people say, well, you know, I, I need this or I need that, well, this is a universal problem. We have fallen. As a human race, we have fallen. It happened before our time. And so anyone that might say, well, that's not fair, well, we have sinned too. We all have sinned. The Bible says this. In fact, it says it in this book. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we understand that not only is it the, the one sin of Adam, but it is also all of our sins. That's the whole first three chapters of Romans that helps us to understand that we deserve the guilt. We deserve the judgment that is on us. But then Jesus stepped in and he changed the game entirely. And so that's what we need to understand. And so when you hear people saying, you know, you are enough, you are good, the power of you your best life or whatever else. When you hear stuff like that, you have to recognize that that is going to lead people down a path of destruction because they're going to think that they're basically good, that they can just think a little bit better and they'll live a little bit better. They can live a little bit better and their lives will begin to be more prosperous or what have you. All of that is a deception of Satan. That is right along the same lines of you will not surely die. It's along those very same lines. You're not really bad. The message of the gospel is you are really bad. The message of the gospel is that you need to be saved. And Jesus came to save you. And so when you hear things contrary to that, it's just like what Paul said to the Galatians. Let them be accursed. If they're preaching a different gospel, let them be accursed. We have to recognize that false teaching, especially in terms of the gospel, the, 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 the condition of the human heart, that is, that is dangerous false teaching that leads people to destruction. We've got to tell the truth. The truth is we're sinners. The truth is we need to be saved because there's no other salvation for us and Jesus is the only way for us to be saved. Okay, so getting back on track, the one act of Jesus will forgive every sin in the believer's life. How do I know that? Well, it says it in the Bible, but let's look at it for just a minute. So it says, as we look at the end of verse 16, it says, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So what is justification? Justification means that it is, Jesus literally goes into our legal record and changes it so that we have obeyed every demand of the law. He can do that because he did obey every demand of the law. So that's what justification is. So when Jesus died, he made a way for us to be completely forgiven, our record wiped clean, our salvation made secure through his work. So people living between the time of Adam and Moses, no, 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 I'm, I'm on the wrong line. Um, the effects of sin are universal, but the free gifts comes through faith. Now you read this and you might say, you know what, this sounds like Paul is saying everybody's going to get saved. Well, if you just had this passage and you had nothing else to fall back on, it does seem like that. 
It does seem like he's saying Adam killed us all and Jesus saved us all. But that's not what it says. Because we've read all of Romans up to that point and Paul has said, you are saved by faith. And so it is only those who have faith in Jesus Christ that are saved. So as we read this, we have to understand that the many that it talks about when Jesus died to save, it isn't saying that he's going to save everybody. What it's saying is that he's going to save everybody that believes on him and he's going to save them completely. So he's going to forgive all of their sins. So what we have to understand now is that those who receive grace have their sin replaced with righteousness and their death replaced with eternal life. For believers, the reign of death is over and eternal life awaits. Awaits. Look at the very last verse here, verse 21. It says, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So here's what, here's why I wanted us to sing the song. The choir sang a, a hymn that many of them didn't know this morning. And the reason I wanted us to sing it is because we have to realize that God's love made a way for salvation when it was completely impossible otherwise. God's love extends to all of us, no matter how deep we fall into sin or how late we wait to believe. He still saves us regardless. So in this passage, one thing you don't find is you can be saved so long as you don't do this. What you don't find is you can be saved so long as your sin total doesn't exceed this. There is no limit to God's grace, to God's love. He will always save. So the legacy of Adam was sin and death. The legacy of Christ is righteousness and life for all who believe. <coughs> I want to read the third verse of that song that the choir sang again because to me this is, this is the right response in terms of worship. This is the right response in terms of understanding the love of God. It says, Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made were every stalk on earth a quill, and every scribe, and everyone a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. There is no way we can ever tell the love of God. We can try. We can try to explain the great gap that he covered with his son Jesus, but we can't really explain it. That is why the bad news is so bad. The bad news is so dark. It is so terrible because the blinding light of God's glory shines through the gospel. And we need to understand that he didn't just save us from something that we wanted. He saved us from something we needed. There was no other hope, no other way, but God's love, God's grace poured out on us. For us to become followers of Christ, we must have a clear understanding of our condition. That's first. You're going to have to know that you are a sinner. You're going to have to know that you have to be saved. We are lost, we are helpless, and we are doomed before Jesus. But God sent Jesus to be our Savior. Now here's where it's important. When you have gospel conversations, and we need to be having gospel conversations, when you have those gospel conversations, don't be afraid to tell people about their sin. You don't have to list specifics. You don't have to know their business and tell them specifically what they're doing. You can talk about sin as a whole. Most people will admit that they're a sinner, that they've made mistakes, that they've done something wrong. We all know that we're not perfect. 
they have to understand the power and the consequence of those sins. You can even use what Paul used here. The fact that the sin of Adam led to the death of all people. How big of a consequence do you think your sin's going to have? If one sin from one man led to the death of all people, what kind of consequence do you think your sin is going to have? And then tell them, regardless of what that consequence is, no matter what the sin is, Jesus saves. And so that's the important thing. Jesus, the people need to know that Jesus has the power to overcome sin and death in their lives. Right now, you talk to, say, a young person. They may not think that death's a big deal, but they will. They will realize it one day. And we have to share the gospel, the whole gospel, that Jesus deals with our sin, he deals with our death, and he brings new life. And so we will proclaim the joys of the free gift forever. That's our mission. That proclamation may be a gospel conversation, it may be a song we sing, but we've got to be proclaiming Jesus every day for the rest of our lives, and we will be singing about it in heaven as well. So this message is a message we need to get in our hearts now, and we need to get used to proclaiming, because it's something you're going to be talking about for all eternity, that Jesus saves even sinners such as we. So let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you, we thank you so much for the time to gather together. I thank you for your word that shines light in our darkened souls, because the reality is, without you there is no hope. We know that there are people that say there's other ways to God, but we have found nothing like that. In fact, from the very beginning, you did not align yourselves with other gods. You didn't say that you were among many. What we read is, in the beginning, God. And so from the very beginning, we have believed that there is one God. And so it is only reasonable that there would be one way to you. You have made it clear. You said, there shall be no other gods before me in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, you said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we have to understand that that is true in our lives. That is true in the world, and people need to hear that message. There are so many competing messages now. There are so many people trying to say so many different things. I pray that you let your truth ring out. Let each of us go about telling the gospel the way that it is recorded in Scripture. We know that that is the only way that people will be saved. So Father, thank you for your word, and I pray that you would help us to be true messengers for you as we go out from this place. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.